Hello and welcome back to episode 18 of Recently Rated. We've been away for a couple of weeks due to schoolwork and stuff like that. Um, but now we're back to talk about the movies we promised to talk about like a month ago, which was Eastern Promises, Amour by Michael Haneke and First Reformed by Paul Schrader. Quite a dark selection. Yeah. It was it was cool, but yeah, it was a bit heavy. Quite intense. Yeah. Um, who wants to go first? I can go first. Um, I was recommended Amour by Nathan. And Amour is about uh, a retired older couple who are living together. Um, the woman is really starting to not do so well mentally um, and physically. And it's basically about her slow deterioration of her health as her husband is trying to take care of her and deal with this fact. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was really good. Very, very sad and depressing and not like a cry way for me, but in a very just draining way of, you know, this very sad situation is kind of going on for a long time. But in a really good way because I thought the characters were really well written, the situations were really real, um, the cinematography was great, the directing, the acting, I mean the acting was so good on the part of everyone in it um, and it's really a great cast. Um, yeah I guess it's quite similar to a lot of Hanukkah films in the sense that the cinematography is really kind of locked down and very slow and yeah definitely not very something to be fancy or have a bunch of cool movements it's really just locked down and, and closed off so yeah um but i think it worked especially well for this film and what it was talking about being about these old people and their really slow and sad lives where nothing is moving for them and so we're not moving and i thought that was quite good and a lot of kind of just sad but in a way just cool in the sense of well executed moments there's one that you mentioned, and I'll let you talk about that more afterwards, but the moment with the pigeon was just a oh. very cool moment. <laughs> yes. The pigeon um, scene. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, a whole lot of stuff. Um, of course, we can get into that maybe later, but the ending is tragic. And at the same time, it's kind of impressive the extent to which we empathize with the characters, even as the man, should I just say it? Yeah. I so, forgot the ending. Remind say me. it. So the husband like puts the pillow to her face, uh, his wife, because she had been wanting to basically die for quite some time now, really not happy with her situation. And he suffocates her, essentially. Um, yeah, and that was, I guess, shocking. Um, but also, I guess I had been building up to it because she had been talking for a while about wanting it to just be over and he didn't want that. Um, but then eventually he kind of caves because her situation's so tragic and she's so sad and she's been wanting that to happen. So, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was impressive the extent to which we empathize with all of the characters in it, even as things like this are happening. Um, yeah, I guess I don't have a lot of negative to say. I mean, I did <laughs> think it was long to... Like, it was kind of hard to sit through, but that's just what it has to be for the subject material. So I really don't have anything negative to say, honestly. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, same for me. I thought it was, you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking now back because also we, we just watched, um, funny games that Haneke directed as well. And I'm just 
Yeah, I'm just glad that there are people like him who, who just don't give a fuck about, you know, making films about difficult subjects and, and sort of not not backing down, sort of perfuming the pig, <laughs> sugar, <laughs> sugarcoating stuff. But just, Shout out to Raph. Yeah, uh, but just, yeah, sort of going for... Maybe sounds cliche, but going for the truth with a brutal honesty, I guess. And and as you Rob pointed out, I thought it was, yeah, it's just kind of crazy how, essentially, I guess the the movie in a in a way is about, or what it does is it it makes us, yeah, empathize with somebody killing someone else, right? We spend so much time that by the end we completely understand that mm. that action. And that's quite a thing to achieve, I guess, as a storyteller. Like if, if you start from the beginning and you say, I'm going to tell you a story in which a guy kills his wife. And by the end, you will, you know, you will see why and you, you will even empathize with him. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would probably be skeptical. Yeah, honestly. Just because it sounds a bit like, huh? Mm-hmm. From the beginning. But he, yeah, he just, he just does it and he, he manages pretty well. Also, I think one thing that I didn't point out in my thing, but the way that the film's structured story-wise, we do get to know that she dies at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, we just then watch the movie leading up to that. We don't know how she died. We assume yeah. she just died a natural death because she's so old, but then, you know, surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Big surprise. Mm. Yeah, also, I mean, I, I really don't have a lot to add, I think, Hannah is definitely someone that you should check out if you're into very ensemble-driven, performance-driven uh, films, and not necessarily into like flashy editing or, or yeah, quick, quick action sequences and things like that. Because he just, I don't know, that just seems to be his thing. These very long shots in which the scenes just play out until you know there's nothing more to play i feel like yeah. uh, sometimes i really feel like that's what he does just uh he sets up a starting point and then it just runs until it runs out mm. yeah yeah so very impressive as as rob said a bit grueling to <laughs> to put your consciousness through but you know i, I feel like it's good every once in a while to have a movie like that. That's mm. just, yeah, where you, you're forced to sit through, right? Like mm-hmm. somebody makes you go through this. You know, it's, it's an interesting experience because I feel like I don't get that so often when I see movies. I don't feel like. I, I had that a lot when I watched Funny Games. I was like, oh man, why are you making me, you know, experience this just so... Uh. Yeah, but it's good. I guess, I guess films should do that. Yeah. So Nathan, why did you recommend it to me? Well, I feel like it's interesting for me because usually these are not the type of movies I go for. I don't think that Michael Haneke would be the first director I name to say like, oh, you know, he's my favorite and his movies are all great. Uh, usually not my style, but for some reason this movie just really got to me. It was like you guys said, very emotional. The performances were ridiculous, um, and I feel like it was like a well-regarded film, you know, all over the world. Usually foreign films don't get that much recognition, let's say at the Oscars, but this movie got 
a nom for Best Picture, a nomination for the actress, making her the oldest living actress ever to have been nominated. I think she was 92. One for directing, one for screenplay, and then it won for foreign film, you know? So, like, Michael Haneke really hit a mark with this one. There were just so many, even though it's slow and it's, it's you know, all the takes are very long and you kind of just sit in these moments, there's so many, I feel like, good gems to be found or you just... Because the story generally becomes about the old man at one point. After the wife, um, there's a scene where he's trying to talk to her and she's just pretty much blank-faced. And, you know, that's the first moment where you realize, like, oh, she probably has Alzheimer's or dementia. Then after that, the story kind of becomes about him and how he deals with that. Um, but even when he's just, you know, shuffling through the house in his pajamas and his little uh, sandals, he's so captivating as both an actor and a character uh and that brings me to the point where rob said about the scene with the pigeon um you know i was watching this film and i was like oh it's hanukkah it's probably symbolism what does this scene with the pigeon mean i need to you know go on reddit and figure it out because i can't think for myself and then i look up the scene and according to hanukkah there's absolutely no meaning to it whatsoever <laughs> Uh, for people that haven't seen the movie, the scene is just um, one day the window's open or the wife leaves the window open and a pigeon just goes into the building and then for five to eight minutes, something like that, the man is just shuffling after the pigeon trying to get him out of the house and the pigeon just doesn't move until one point where the, you know, the man throws a blanket over the pigeon and is able to get it out of the house. But apparently it just has no meaning. It's just about the randomness of life and how, you know, all these things just kind of like happen to people and there's no real meaning behind it. It could have, you know, happened to anyone. It could have been anybody else's window and just how you deal with these situations. And uh, so that to me was just very weird, you know, because it makes this whole big thing of trying to make this scene like, you know, what does it mean? And then it's just... Pigeon. No, yeah. It's just a pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> so... I don't know. I feel like when you're watching a Michael Haneke movie, you are just in the hands of somebody that knows how to craft a story. And, you know, the guys would probably say the same about Ruben Uslund, which I would agree. Except I feel like I like Haneke more. He just knows what he's doing, though. If you're watching the mm -hmm. film, he probably did every scene and every movement with a reason, with a certain intent behind it. And you just kind of have to sit through the whole thing to be ready to know what it is by the end of the film. Mm. Uh, and I really like that. Mm. So also, like I like Haneke for the simple reason that he had his feature film de debut at the age of forty-eight. Yeah. Which absolves me of some of my headaches about <laughs> you know having to make a feature at age twenty-eight or something. Yeah. You know, you can always just say I'm just gonna pull a Haneke, you know, and mm. wait twenty more years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just hopefully be super good. But, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I was. I, I just remembered that. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think um, for the can competition, you're you can only win in one category, like a main category. You cannot win in more than one. I think. I, I'm not sure, but that would make sense because I don't think I've seen movies win double categories. Now I know what it is. They changed it. And I think the year they changed it, Haneke was the president of the, the jury. And then the year when, um, because Amour, I think it won, 
best actress or something. I, I forgot which one it won, but the president of the jury then, who was Nanni Moretti, went to Haneke and said, I think that we should not have done that because this film should have won, you know, best directing and best films, and mm. both of them, but, it, you know, it ended up winning only one in quotation marks. But, uh, right. Oh, no. They just love that shit so much, like everybody. Mm. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I, I think I gave it an initial rating of an eight, but now talking about it, I feel like it's not high enough. So Decide, I, man. I think I'm gonna go with a nine. Yeah. Cool. I think I'll stick by my eight. Yeah. Really like it. It just wasn't like my personal favorite. Yeah. Well, I gave it a nine. So. That makes a nine for Amour. Only watch it like you know you kind of know a bit what you're signing up for. Because yeah. Don't watch this with a like your date or something. Hey, you know, I have this good romantic <laughs> comedy. It's called Amour. Yeah. Hey, you know, good evening. No. Rainy Sunday afternoon family drama. <laughs> Everyone sits by the fireplace and watches Amour. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Should we do first reform? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So you? Yeah. I, uh, Ro Rob recommended first reformed by Paul Schrader to me, which I had wanted to watch for a while or kind of avoided I think for similar reasons <laughs> like Amour. Um, Story-wise it's about a priest played by Ethan Hawke who gets asked um, to have a sort of serve as some kind of a counselor figure to, to a disturbed husband. And they talk a lot about how the planet is essentially fucked and the, the, the husband is just very into sort of end theories about the world ending soon because we've just messed up so bad as a, a species. And spoiler alert, he ends up killing himself. And the whole thing kind of plunges Ethan Hawke's character into a bit of a crisis in his faith. And he ends up becoming... <laughs> kind of obsessed and uh, developing these uh, destructive tendencies where he at some point decides to attack a, I think the, the head of a big oil company or something like that. And um, yeah, so it's essentially about somebody battling with uh, his beliefs and sort of coming to terms with some state of reality, I guess, that he wasn't aware of before. Um, yeah, I thought it was, when I started out watching it, I, I was in love, you know, I thought it was so cool. Uh, the, the shots I thought looked great, cinematography-wise, uh, uh, production design, just how how your eyes are led, just the visual storytelling I thought was super good. And I, I mean, I like Ethan Hawke in general, so any movie that he's in, I, I think I go in with a slightly more positive uh, attitude. Yeah, and, and performances too, very good. And then I think, uh, first of all, I guess we, we have to talk about that later. The ending, I it, it was an ending. I don't quite <laughs> know how to place it. Um, but I read up later on, as I always do, I read the IMDb trivia and I, I saw that the primary reference and inspiration to Paul Schrader was um, Pavlikovsky's Ida. 
which I really liked. And I don't know why. And this is an odd thing be- uh, to me. I don't quite get it because once I read that, I first of all, I saw it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I saw the influence and it almost brought my perception of first reform down a bit because i thought oh man you know he stole that from eden you know it's of course it's not as extreme but yeah um that and then what i don't quite know is or how to place that is that the story is pretty much the same as ingmar bergman's winter light in which a priest uh, counsels a young disturbed husband who then kills himself and there's no um eco-terrorism that's like new that's what paul schrader added but it's essentially the same story kind of yeah diary of a country priest is a priest who's no 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 counseling uh, no, i'm saying also oh that's oh, counseling okay. uh, uh like a woman and uh oh with like all these doubts and stuff, oh okay so, yeah there's lots of them yeah, yeah. So I just didn't know, you know, I guess it's that debate, is it an homage, is it a rip-off, when does inspiration end and stealing start, you know, it's just kind of that where I didn't quite know how to assess this. I guess, you know, if if you put all of that aside, you know, like, great movie, but I just don't know. So I, I guess I would be interested in hearing your opinions on that. And the kind of striking resemblances to, to Taxi Driver at some point. Yeah, which, which makes sense, I guess. But yeah, yeah, which makes yeah. sense because Paul Schrader wrote Taxi Driver. So. Yeah, but a uh, really solid movie, I thought. Really solid. Yeah. Um, it's been a while. It's, it's, been a, it's been a long minute. Um, yeah, I like the film. I would not say that I, like, you know, thought it was spectacular. Uh, for some reason, there were just a lot of things that... I mean, one more reference, which was just completely random, but uh, Rob and I watched vertigo and then uh you have the guy james stewart right and you have his friend woman thing who's like madly in love with him but he's kind of like oh you know leave me alone and it's kind of the same thing with ethan hawk and the wife choir you know or not the wife choir the the woman from the choir you know she's just trying to do good by him and be there for him and also become you know be in a relationship with him and he's just like oh you know fucking leave i don't want you uh, so there's also that resemblance, but overall for me, I really liked the beginning and then it just, when it got into the whole eco-terrorism thing, it just took a very distinct turn where, uh, you know, Rob's favorite word, but no, I won't say, I won't use existentialism for this. Uh, <laughs> I know it's not, he gets annoyed whenever I use it. No, the whole thing, there's a scene where, um, cause now Ethan Hawke after the husband dies becomes kind of the the best friend and i guess what would you call him Con- know, not like, counselor but consoler yeah, of like the wife the the helper in need you know? yeah exactly. he's just there you know they become friends and he helps her out and there's a scene where she's like oh do this with me and she lies down on the floor and he lies down on top of her and they're just lying there for a while and then i'm like okay what is happening and then out of nowhere they start floating where it almost becomes a scene from like uh you know, uh, what's the name? Hodorovsky film, like yeah, El Topo yeah, yeah. or something. It's just them floating into yeah. into the cosmos. And to date, I still am not sure what to think of that scene. And if you want to jump into the whole ending, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Um, I was I was still thinking about that scene because I just thought 
the moment when they start float floating, I was just you know glued to the screen. I was like, I'm completely at you know your loss, Paul. You know, I'm I need to know what what this stuff is about, right? I just felt it was a crazy moment. But um, yeah. So in the end, Ethan Hawke is like um rigged with um explosives wants to blow himself up in in a fully uh occupied church <laughs> it's kind of ironic him being his a own priest. church his own church yeah right the the church that he's taking care of and um he sees that uh his friend played by amanda seyfried uh also joins the um the festivities and he explicitly told her to stay away but then he sees that she's uh just not listen to him and uh, she has showed up so he puts the the explosives away and instead um just straps himself in barbed wire mm -hmm. i guess reminiscent of uh jesus before they they put him on the cross right yeah so he's he's he puts that stuff on him and then i think the door opens and Amanda Seyfried is there and he sees her and she sees him and then they just embrace in this fiery, passionate kiss and the camera, you know, runs around them and it's just this fireworks, lovey kind of end. And then it just cuts to black and you're like, what? You know, it was just kind of, it was a bit like... Wow. Also, another very important thing is that before she bursts into the room and after the barbed wire, he fills up a, gl a whiskey oh, yes. glass with drain cleaner. Yes. Uh, you know, which if anybody drinks, like, yeah. You die. You dead. Yes, exactly. So, um, I mean, it was an ending with a pen, I think, even though, you know, we didn't get the actual explosion <laughs> that, that I guess we were waiting for, but... Uh, I mean, it ended and I was like, oh man, you know, kind of uh, this feeling when you know that you need to pro post-process something because it doesn't make sense right now. And I just, um, I mean, I assume, no, you see, that's, that's the thing I cannot even decide. I don't even know if that was real, you know, if that really happened, that whole kissing thing, or if that's just him, I don't know. I don't know, man. I really don't know. Yeah, I was going to say it feels like a whole, just a dream to me, not yeah. to be cliche, but he, you know, he fills up the glass full of drain cleaner. And for me, there was nothing in the film, even though he's her consoler, there's nothing in the film to indicate that she would want to be in a relationship with him, whether they had created that, you know, fiery passion underneath the, you know, behind their friendship. And so he's the one that's more let's say enamored with her which is yeah. why he stops himself from blowing up the church which is why you know he's constantly going there to check up on her um i feel like the idea of them you know making out into this fiery burst of passion is more an idea created by him than an actual reality mm. uh, and i guess with that the ending would kind of make sense for me because it would be like oh he's dead but then the fact that he's dead is also a little unsatisfying so i don't know let's uh let's leave it up to the man here who recommended it rob what's up <laughs> also just maybe a little little side note that the whole 
the shot of the glass with um the the bleach or what was it drain cleaner drain cleaner yeah you know he he did that in taxi driver too there's like a shot of the glass and it just punches with in the on, bubbles. on the glass yeah the bubbles in the glass and i was like oh man cool you know you're doing it again yeah sorry yeah no um yeah so obviously i really liked it that's why i recommended it um yeah i thought as has already been said i mean i thought the cinematography was really great i thought the acting was great i thought a lot of the time the kind of cinematography with the staging um that combination and well, i guess which is basically with the acting so kind of like basically the directing as a whole and the way all the pieces came together i thought was just really great i was really um in it and kind of enamored from beginning to end and i guess i haven't seen winter light so i can't really comment on that i don't really know um i kind of have to just take this on its own i guess in a way but um yeah i just thought that the way it dealt with his crisis of faith and his doubts and kind of those internal struggles were quite fascinating and very real and authentic in a way. And I also thought, I mean, Paul Schrader being a Catholic, as far as I understand, I thought he dealt with a lot of the kind of more, not Catholic, but kind of the more Orthodox Christian theological stuff really well. Um, most films, if they delve into priests and pastors and all this stuff, don't really know what they're talking about usually very well. Right. And Paul Schrader does. And so I really appreciated that too, that um, when he talks about the environmental stuff or when they talk about just in general theological issues surrounding his struggles and his concerns, it was very accurate to sort of using the right kind of language, saying it in the right sorts of ways that actually would be said by someone like him and the yeah. way that he actually would be thinking about it within that framework. Yeah, And so I thought it was really doing a good job at that, you know, authenticity-wise in a way that I actually hadn't really seen in any other film, which at least even Diary of a Country Priest, that one definitely had authenticity on pretty well, Bressel also being a Catholic, but I feel like this one almost more. So I don't know. Yeah, I thought that was um, one aspect that I really appreciated. And then, yeah, I mean, so, okay, first thing to admit is I didn't get to finish the movie this time around when yeah. I'm rewatching it. Right, right. But... The ending, to me, to get straight into that, I feel like I had a better grasp on it when I watched it the first time. But from what I recall and kind of thinking back on it and the events that happened, the way I understood it, and I don't know if this is the way that Paul Schrader intended it, I feel like there are multiple ways that we can understand it. I feel like it's kind of a question in a way, but that throughout the film, he's kind of struggling with his faith and this reoccurring thing, as you pointed out, with the one woman is that um, part of his faith and his position is that he doesn't want to be in a, a romantic relationship. He doesn't want to both have sex or get married or um, be anything. I mean, he was married at one point, but his wife is dead now and he's decided that he's just not going to do anything. And so, yeah, you have Didn't that building his up. his child die and that broke up the marriage? Yeah, yeah that was it. Yeah. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. His child died and that broke up the marriage. So anyway, in, in sense, uh, his uh, divorce, I suppose, he's decided to just not do anything and so and that's kind of a part of his faith and so I was the way I read it anyway because I did think that it was real and I did think that there was kind of a lingering thing for them that's kind of how I felt about it that there was kind of a build-up you thought the kiss was real yeah I thought yeah. everything was yeah. was real I mean real in the sense of, I mean it's an art house film so everything's like you know, <laughs> symbolism you know but all that but I felt like it was real within the sense that it's happening in the story world and you know okay okay um that's how I felt about it but I guess the way I interpreted it was as him, you know, kind of how the bombing, I mean, that was kind of right, his 
hatred for the world and what they are doing. But then I feel like in that moment he realizes when she, he realizes that he would be killing her when she isn't there. I feel like he really realizes the weight of what he was about to do. And he kind of turns the hatred in on himself and is like, oh, you know, I'm the fucked up one. I'm the one that needs to change. I'm the one that needs to die. Right. And then he kind of puts all the barbed wire on himself. But I feel like at that moment, right, where his despair got so much that is actually, I think, the moment where his faith just cracks and he gives up. And I feel like that's what the kiss is, right? Is finally him saying, you know what? He takes off his whole priestly robe and just throws himself mm-hmm. into life mm-hmm. for the first time in this way where he's not, you know, held back, quote unquote. But also, you know, this is, I think, where the question mark is for me is I think that the film is trying to ask you, okay, he's been struggling with his faith, he's this crisis of faith, right, for this whole movie. And then... It's like that has led him to all this trauma. But then when he just decides, you know what, I'm just going to give up and just live, you know, carefree for the first time. I feel like the question then is, is that good or not? I guess, you know, is it actually good to give up on all that, you know, or is it bad? And I feel like that's kind of the question I feel like to me, but it's that moment where he just, everything cracks finally. And, you know, as peak of hatred for himself and others and realizing, oh, I'm a problem and everything's a problem. And then it's like, all right, fine, you know, screw it. I'm just going to go. And then I feel like that's the ending. And then the question, I guess, turned back to the audience of, is that, what is that to you? You know, is that the right thing? I guess that's kind of how I read it. But I don't know. I feel like there could be a lot of interpretations. It could be that he is picking sides on whether it was good or not. It could be, you know, I feel like there's a lot of mystery to me about exactly what it was, but I do feel like to me, it was sort of a question mark of, you know, presenting that to the audience, right? Yeah. You know, I guess the thing for me was, to me, it so clearly seemed to be making a point about something, but I just didn't get it. You know, I didn't quite know what I'm looking at. I was like, this is, you know, signifying a lot. This is sending a lot of uh, weight, like uh, sort of, um, this is sending a lot of sense into my direction. But me personally, I just was not able to fully get it at the time yeah. it was coming. I feel like if I were just to kind of add something, trying to kind of give yeah. the devil's advocate to yeah, my yeah. perspective, if I were to say that it is saying something solid, I think if, for example, instead of being a question, it's a statement, maybe it's something like maybe the solution to it is the solution to the problem that he's seeing is to turn your look inward at yourself to realize what you're doing to contribute to it. And then the solution is love. You know, I mean, I mean, maybe that's, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's kind of cliche, but maybe that's it if it's making a statement. But yeah, I don't know. I just feel like every interpretation that I found, which are just like a couple, it's just like either it's a question or it's saying something on one side. And I feel like all of that just was quite interesting to me. And I really enjoyed it. And I thought that it had a lot to say and a lot to ask about the issues that were being portrayed. So yeah, in the end, I really liked it, basically. And I just wanted to point out again um, that especially all the shots of him writing his diary mm-hmm. they're just you know it's like looking at chocolate melting you know it's like all those brown colors and the, the light and i just thought the cinematography especially in those scenes to me was just so nice i thought you know? so too was yeah. so nice mm. it's like it's like a master class in lighting almost yeah. uh, and then staging <laughs> and as you say ethan hawk i just you know i love him and everything so yeah that's also a plus for me but yeah ratings yeah ratings <laughs> all right i i gave it an eight all things considered i guess i guess maybe also why i i, I felt a bit like a bitter aftertaste in the end was 
because at, at points it was like on a nine, you know, and I was like, this could have been a nine or I don't know, a 10 for me. And yep. then it just, you know, didn't quite. So I was like, oh man, but yeah, it's, it's a good day. Cool. Good day. It's a seven for me. And it's a nine for me. For an eight for first reform. Cool. And now the, All right. the on, dessert. <laughs> on to Eastern Promises. Yeah, so I guess it's about a woman played by Naomi Watts who finds... Essentially, she finds out that a young woman was killed and she... she um, before she died, she gave birth to a child and she just trying to, tries to find out what happened and gets sucked into this whole underworld of Russian mobsters who also have an interest in this baby and in, in the diary that the deceased mother left behind because it um, contains incriminating evidence. Yeah. Ah, yes. That's what the story is about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, at first when Flo recommended it, I had no idea what the hell the movie was. And then I saw it and I was like, ah, oh, yes, I've seen this poster around a couple of times. And... Um, I feel like there was so much merit with the concept of the film, but then the actual execution just felt in a way kind of poor. Like, it's not a bad film, but there's just moments where, like, acting, it, you know, it was a little, it was very off. The movie's, uh, the gr woman is Naomi Watts, right? Yeah. Who, right now, it's two for two that she's not a great actress, I think. Mulholland Drive, granted, the first half she's supposed to play, I guess, not a great actress because of what the film is about. But in this film, I'm kind of like, whoa, you're just playing the woman from the first half of Mulholland Drive. So is this just how you act and are you horrible? You know, that's kind of the first assumption that comes to mind. And um, no offense, Naomi. <laughs> no offense, Naomi. Ever come on the podcast, please. Like, let's. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, and the story just takes a weird turn as well towards the end where, uh, you know, I guess the end, if we're going to spoil it, the resolution of the film where um, the guy from La Haine. Vincent Cassel. Yeah, Vincent Cassel takes the baby and he's about to, because the baby ends up being his dad's, even though he thought it was his, but it's of this a Russian prostitute that one of them impregnated. So it's this whole, you know, clusterfuck of just horrible family gangster business and uh just that scene where it was meant to bring a resolution to the film it was just kind of bad the way that they <laughs> talked to each other you know Viggo Mortensen was nominated for an Oscar for this film for acting in a leading role and at certain points you'd be like oh yeah you know, Vigo is a legend like the scene where he's naked in the in the bathhouse yeah. and he's like killing people legendary the scene at the end with the resolution with mm -hmm. naomi watts and vincent cancel it was like a little um like a triangle of just <laughs> horrible acting and you know what four horrible actors including the baby just everyone in that scene <laughs> um so it was just a lot of give and take you know you'd have some moments that would be great the the bathhouse fighting scene some things with the with the dad as well like the russian dad mob boss uh, some scenes that he was in was really great. And um, so it was just constantly a film that was giving and taking away an execution at the same time, which in a way made me feel even more uncomfortable than if the movie were just a bad film. 
Yeah, I was just gonna say, and I think just to be completely fair to the actors, I feel like the dialogue also in those scenes where they were bad wasn't doing them any favors at all. You know? Yeah. Like the what was it they said? I forgot, but it was just like oh, I forget. But just the dialogue was very corny in those. Was it when he slipped into Russian and it just felt very conceited? Yeah. Like he would, you felt like at points that they would slip in. Like Russian oh, vernacular. Yeah, yeah. He was just like, oh, to, yeah. Papa, why did you do this? You know, like in Russian, saying uh, that when he was holding the baby. And you're like, oh, what? You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Vasakasel's drunk and talking to himself while holding the baby at a at the the end of the Thames, right? Because yeah, they're in yeah, London. Yeah. At the edge of the Thames, because he's about to toss the baby in there. And he's like, Papa, why did you do this to the family? And he's just talking yeah. to himself. There's like music swelling. And oh, like, man, it's rough. <laughs> So yeah, shout out to Cronenberg for other films, but Eastern Promises, don't really know what happened for a lot of it, if I'm being 100% honest. Um, and Mr. Knight, the screenwriter, Locke, amazing. Locke, know? yeah. And a lot of the parts of Eastern Promises are really good, but... Yeah, exactly. Also, shout out to uh, when Viggo Mortensen gets his Russian initiation tattoo, and we see Oligar Fedoro. <laughs> shout out to him. Yes. All right. <laughs> No, <laughs> uh, but um, Rob, what do you think? <laughs> so I feel like that was a shit rant. <laughs> no, yeah, I I agree. Basically, thing is, cinematography for a lot of it was great. Actually, for almost I mean for the whole thing, I'd say cinematography that was really good. The acting again at moments really good, at moments not so good, and the writing as well at moments great, at moments really not so great. And so I feel like it was just <laughs> so strange because honestly. It's been a while since I've seen a film that was such a mixed bag in terms of it changing in quality so quickly and changing in almost tone so quickly from so realistic and gritty to like kind of melodramatic and, you know. A love know. story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it turned into a love story it, at the yeah, end like... with no buildup where he all of a sudden it's a romance between him and Naomi Watts, even though for the rest it was just kind of creepy on his side and she was showing nothing. So I don't know. It's. Yeah, same for me, basically. Sometimes great, sometimes not so great. And I just felt like it was really too bad because if it had held consistently the quality that it had in those best moments, it could have easily been, like, five times better. But Yeah. I also, you know, especially since it is a well-regarded film, it's a movie that is talked about to a certain extent, and it just makes me feel like, am I miss? did I miss something, you know? Because like, I'm not going to rate it horribly, and I didn't think it was a bad film. I thought it was a good film, too. Yep. You know, for all intents and purposes, I thought it was a good film. But I just thought it could have been so much better for what... You know, all the ingredients are there, but it's like, I don't know, you burn the food, you know? It's just strange. <laughs> yeah, so the food is just great, and then just a little bit of burnt stuff on it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. such a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what it is. Yeah, Because same for me, it's a good film. But what's frustrating about it is that so easily it could have been... A million times better so yeah because maybe what, what's just worth pointing out is that Viggo Mortensen plays sort of a Russian hitman bodyguard type of yeah. guy who works himself up into the Russian mob and as it turns out spoiler alert he's a cop he's undercover and he just basically sells his life to this cause and it's there's something just so tragic and sad in a way about that when mm. i thought that's such a cool character i guess mm. and he played it so well and i think you know it's like it's the best best aspect of the movie is him yeah yeah honestly you remove the part with naomi was the romance thing 
I feel like actually that's yeah. What that's it's just that part I feel like with him that wasn't so great. But everything you remove else. Naomi once. <sighs> Naomi, <laughs> we love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> and maybe I don't know. Maybe just let Vanson Cancel not say Papa and nothing in Russian. <laughs> <laughs> but is is Vanson Cancel French? Yeah. Okay, stick to France then. Like that's yeah, my thing. Yeah, you know, right? like I feel like this film could have been casted in a very different way, not to. I, to, I guess shit on professional actors but it's just it just feels a little off yeah. you know it feels like even though I liked it kind of better um, what's his name Kenneth Branagh playing a Russian oligarch in Tenet I kind of really liked it but you know it's just like how did that casting choice get made alright Flo so why did you recommend it uh, right I recommended it because Probably because I hadn't seen it in a while and I just needed a reason to rewatch it. And I'm a big fan of Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. And I just made a list of, you know, stuff that I could recommend you guys, stuff that you maybe might not have seen. And also, I mean, Cronenberg is on my list of people that I have to have an eye on. So I was just like, hey, you know, it ticks a couple of boxes. I'm going to recommend that. And... Yeah, then it just wasn't it wasn't as good as I hoped it to be. Um yeah, which sucks I guess in a way. Especially because yeah, I I feel like it had a lot of potential mm. but just didn't quite deliver. Yeah. Yeah. Vigo and Captain Fantastic. Just putting Vigo that out there. Captain Fantastic is good. <laughs> Green Book, it was super cool. Green Book, he was fantastic. The way when he folds the whole pizza and just eats it and, you know, the whole fucking pizza, it's just like, oh, man. Mm. Um, yeah, ratings. Seven for me. A seven for me as well. It's a seven for me too. For a seven for Eastern Promises. All right, we're going to do something different uh, starting from now on. Hopefully, you know, it could either go really well, it could either go really bad, who knows. But for at least for a little while while we're so busy with film school, we're only going to pick one film that the three of us haven't seen and then come back and talk about that in depth on the podcast. You know, since we started living together, we actually made up a roulette wheel with over 270 movies and counting, continuously counting, uh, of movies that we all have yet to see. So we're just going to go ahead and... Uh, See what comes up. Yes, let's do it. Shout out to Nathan for making the real Nathan loves lists. And all of his love for lists went into this one. So it's quite insane. I quite love, insane. I love lists and odds. So yeah. this was like the best thing for me. Yeah. Wheels, we, we get a lot of those. And I guess there's no chickening out this time, right? Nope. No, there's no chickening out. Well, okay, we got three vetoes. <laughs> oh, should we do? Should we maybe do one? One person gets one veto every week. I feel like we're gonna do nitty gritty. Let's just see. Let's just roll it and see where we end up. Okay. We? Okay. We're just gonna stick to it. Want let's, the volume on? Let's just say no vetoes. Honestly. Okay. Let's say no vetoes. What if it's yeah. Gummo? Then we'll do it. Then we'll watch Gummo. What is Shout Gummo out to again? Harmony Corinne. <laughs> Gummo is Harmony Corinne. Yeah. Oh man. But like uncomfortable Harmony Corinne. <laughs> We just watched the new um, Gucci advert by Harmony Korean, which was quite funny, quite cool. Can you imagine Iggy Pop, Tyler the Creator, and ASAP Rocky in the same room, just dancing to 80s funk? 
<laughs> yeah. All right. You ready? No. Hit We're it. spinning it. Going for it. Picnic at Hanging Rock. Oh, well, what is that? I've never even heard of it's that. It's one of Andres' favorite films. Yeah. Oh, really? It's by... Um, oh, was it by? Is, is it, it a so horror much? film? Kind of. Um, he's done a whole lot of films. One sec. Um, Peter Weir? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know that name. What else has he done? Oh, Truman Show, Dead oh, Poet wow. Society. Yeah, yeah okay, oh, that's right, fine then. Right, okay. What's the name again? All right, so this week we're going to be watching Picnic at Hanging Rock, directed by Peter Weir. Uh, 1975 classic, apparently. Really loved by some of our fellow uh, classmates. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll be back to tell you all what we think. Yeah. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.